Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Psalm 67 is a song of praise mingled with a passion for world missions. It's one of those high moments in the nation of Israel when the people realized and embraced their missionary calling. This calling has now, by Jesus Christ, been passed on to the church. It is a calling that our church in America has had a strong history in fulfilling, but lately we have stepped away from this calling. Why? Today we discuss the church's way back to its mission. The first point is this. Number one, the heart of missions, and by the way, I think that's the title I would have given to the sermon. The heart of missions is that blessing of God in which He reveals Himself to us and we enjoy His presence. Where does the witness of the life of the church to the ends of the earth, where does it rise from? It rises from the blessing of God revealing Himself to us and enabling us to enjoy Him. His presence. We've stated this just a couple of weeks ago. We've mentioned it more than once that we have been established by Jesus Christ as witnesses to the person and work of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. In John chapter 15, our Lord Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit was going to come in order to be a witness of Him. And the Lord Jesus said at that time, and you shall be my witnesses also. And what we said was this. You can't forget this. This is too important. It is revealed in this very passage we're reading here. You cannot give witness to what you have not experienced yourself. We're to be as witnesses to the ends of the earth, but you cannot give witness to what you have not experienced yourself. We are not going around trying to indoctrinate people in a new religion. We're not trying to persuade people simply to change their mind about where they're going to spend eternity. We're not even trying to get them to change their mind simply about what is philosophically true and what not true. We are bearing witness to a truth that sets us free that transforms us from the inside out, that works, that makes us new creatures, where old things have passed away and everything's become new. Listen, if that's not borne out in our experience, don't share it with anybody. You're a bad advertisement. You cannot give witness to what you have not experienced yourself. You cannot speak of the Lord Jesus with authority unless you know Him. Otherwise, you're just giving a third-person account to the number one person in the world. Can't do it. You're only providing some kind of historical conjecture. You cannot give witness to His work until He has worked upon you His salvation. That's how you give witness to it. The Christian is not only to say something like this. Jesus did miracles. Jesus taught with authority. Jesus lived a righteous life. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus rose again from the grave. Jesus ascended to heaven. That's all true. But that's not our only message. That's not our story. That's not, that's not the witness of the church. No, the Christian is to say something like this. Christ has done miracles in my life. Christ teaches me daily. Christ covers me with his righteousness. And have you noticed? He's living his righteousness out from my life. He's changing the choices I make and the desires I have and the words that they say and the way that I interact in my relationship. Have you noticed it? That's what we're supposed to say. He died for my sins. 
He rose again to give me His life. He ascended into heaven, but there He poured out His Spirit, and the Spirit lives and abides within me. Folks, that's the Christian message. That's the gospel. The gospel doesn't go forward as a theoretical statement of our understanding of what is philosophically true, even though it's philosophically true. It goes forward as an expression of a witness of what we have encountered and know. It's what we have experienced. God, be merciful to us. God, bless us. God, make your face shine upon us. And then, and then, your way will be known in the earth, your salvation to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit has come to make the Lord Jesus real to us so that we may experience Him and having Him living within us, the ongoing expressions of a saving life. That's how we bring forth our witness. That's exactly what is being expressed in this passage. The author's first concern is that God's chosen people should live in the experience of God. That's his first concern. And the first experience that he wants them to receive from God is mercy and grace and forgiveness. This implies an experience actually prior to that, an awakening to the sense of mercy and grace. God, I need your mercy. God, I need your grace. God, I need your forgiveness. There are a lot of people that don't even know they need that, but that's the first. God, I've met you, this holy God. Oh, God, be merciful to me. God, forgive me. God, God, forgive me. Then the experience is mercy, grace, forgiveness. And he's giving a song to be sung by the nation of Israel. And the song really is a cry for mercy. This should be the first concern of every pastor in every church. It should be the first concern of any individual who longs to see the church reclaim and become motivated in its rightful place as missionaries taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. A church that's given above everything else, proclaiming the salvation of our God to our communities, to our city, to our nation, to the nations around the earth. It's a concern for me because the United States is losing ground in the sending out of more and more missionaries to the ends of the earth. It ought to be our concern that we should reclaim our place as energetically given as a church here in North America to sounding the gospel to the ends of the earth. But if that's our concern, if that's our desire, then our prayer ought to be, the missions mobilizer's prayer ought to be something like this. God, bring your people into a deep experience and profound sense of their sin. God, bring your people into a deep, profound experience of your mercy and saving grace. Let them know their sin and let them know their sin forgiven in your Son, Jesus Christ. Let them know a deep, unshakable brokenness and repentance for the triteness of their lives and the casualness of their lives before you. Let them trace out their sins, but then know the joy, the unutterable joy of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. Then you sing songs like, "'Twas a glad day when Jesus found me, when He wrapped His loving arms around me." You sing songs like, "'I have found a heaven below, and there's sunshine in my soul today.'" Because you've been made clean and you made right. This realization of forgiveness, mercy, grace. 
necessarily leads then to an encountering of God's fellowship, of seeing God's face, of coming into a deep knowing of God's life. Listen to me. Any claim of the grace of salvation, anyone who claims, look, I'm a Christian, I've been saved, I have the grace of salvation, that doesn't issue from their lives in a deep, rich enjoyment and celebration of God's presence, His life, a loving, continual, deepening relationship with Him, a loving pursuit of Him, a longing look to Him in their lives, a life saturated by giving themselves to know and experience His attributes, any claim of the grace of salvation, of mercy and grace and forgiveness that doesn't result in a life soaking up the presence of God rings hollow. It doesn't ring true. It doesn't add up. And it doesn't give you a witness to give anyone in the world. It doesn't give you a witness. And that's what we want. That's what we should long for. So what is it that God has saved us to? What is it that God comes and provides His mercy to us to? And what is it that God provides the grace and blessings in our lives? What is His purpose? Well, it's He saves us to an enjoyment of God Himself. That's it. Make your face to shine upon us. Take your Bibles for a second turn to Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. This psalm is thought to be a repetition of a blessing that the priest had learned to offer up to the nation of Israel at the end of their feast and before their feast. A daily blessing that the nation was to receive found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The priest would stand before the people and he would say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance or face upon you and give you peace. It sounds very similar to what we've just read in Psalm 67, isn't it? Lord, lift up your face, let your face shine upon us. And though it's similar, there is a change in the words here in the Hebrew that's different. I want to emphasize that with you for a moment. Even in the King James, it says, let your face shine upon us. But the word there is really not upon us. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means, let your face shine among us. Let your face shine with us. This is not a prepare for the projection of God's favor coming down upon them from His distant heaven. This is the prayer for the blessing of companionship with God where God is among us and with us and guiding us. God, let your face shine among us. And it's when and only when we experience the face of God shining within us and among us and being with us that we are established in the ability to bring forth our mission to others. It is only as He shines upon us that we're able to shine out His life and His truth and His gospel to others. Go to Psalm chapter 42. Let's look at a couple of verses there very quickly. In Psalm chapter 42, the psalmist is at a point of defeat in his life. He's feeling estranged from God, cast off from God, and he's wanting to come back into intimate connection with God. He remembers days when he's enjoyed that kind of intimacy in the past, and he's hungry for it again. In verse 42, verse 5, he anticipates the day when God will answer 
when he answers, it will throw off this turmoil within him. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He talks to himself. Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That is, I am going to receive help as God shines his face down upon me. Now, this movement of God shining his face down upon him, this shining of God's life and God's nature and God's attributes upon him, leads him to another point of hope. It's found in verse 11. Here in verse 11 he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. you see the difference there? The one is, I receive the help of his countenance. The next one is, the shining of his light, his face upon me, helps my countenance, my face, my life. He shines on me, my face shines. He shines on me, his life, his presence, a nearness to him. I experience him, and my life becomes a radiating expression of his life of His blessing, of His fellowship, shining out to others. I receive the help of His countenance, and He lifts up and becomes the help of my countenance, the light of my countenance. So again, listen to me. When evangelism and missions goes backwards in the life of the church, we can know that the experience of God Himself, the favor of God's presence among the people, is diminished. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until our next time together, may the Lord bless you.